0: You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Today is the first Sunday of the Lenten season. Uh, Lent is a season of preparation leading to Easter. Uh, It kicked off last Wednesday night. Uh, Many of you were here for our Ash Wednesday service. Um, Lent is traditionally associated with repentance, uh, with fasting with prayer, uh, and Lent literally means springtime. Uh, and, and so it's a wonderful opportunity for both personal reflection and preparation, uh, an opportunity for us to really take a, a, a deep dive and a long look at, at our hearts and our hearts' ultimate longing, uh, unity with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, uh, unity with him in his suffering and his death, And as we move toward Easter, unity with him and his resurrection and his victory that he invites us all to live in. This morning, we're going to continue our message series uh, on Galatians, No Other Gospel. And the passage that we're looking at this morning, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, is one that causes us to consider, um, it's sort of a, a good tool for some personal reflection, who we were. Uh, before Christ, under the law, and who we are uh, in Christ, uh, in, under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's something that, that we're going to look at this morning. And my hope and my prayer is that all of us will be reminded, or maybe you will hear for the very first time, uh, that because of Jesus Christ, uh, we are people who are greatly Greatly loved and fully valued by God, the full expression of the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And because of Jesus, we're each invited to be part of of God's family to have a seat at his table. Uh, at his table. And remembering that in chapters three and four, as we, we've laid out a couple of times in this series, uh, Paul's very segmented and he's very orderly in the way that he's got this letter laid out. He spends the first couple of chapters talking about uh, the validity of his apostleship. And in chapters three and four, he is emphasizing the superiority of the gospel of Jesus Christ over uh, that of the Jewish law. And the reason that Paul is writing this and uh, focusing on this is because uh, these churches that he helped plant, uh, these churches in the province of Galatia, um, they have been infiltrated by some false teaching. Uh, Teaching that said that, yeah, uh, you need Jesus, you need salvation through Jesus, but Jesus alone, trusting in Jesus as the Son of God, is is insufficient and it's inadequate. You need to also follow the Jewish law to be full members of God's family. Uh, the law, in fact, was given by God, but it was only given to lead people to Christ. Uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, I would highly recommend you listening to Roger's teaching. He did a wonderful job laying out the, the promise of Abraham that God gave, and then uh, the, the message, the law that was given to Moses, and how uh, Jesus came to fulfill that. So. Just a quick overview, the law was intended uh, to reveal sin. It was given by God, but it was only given to lead people to Christ. That was the ultimate goal of it, not to secure righteousness for us. It was, at best, a temporary measure introduced to to convince people, uh, Jews then and us today, of our need for a Savior, uh, that we are unable to save ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. The law was given to Moses. That law given to him was far inferior to the promise That was given to Abraham because uh, the law was given through angels and through Moses in contrast to the promise that God gave to Abraham, the father of Israel himself. And we need to understand that the law is not contrary to the promise. uh, Rather, the two are very much complementary. They work together. The law demanded righteousness, but again, it was powerless to to make any real heart change, to change our hearts. Uh, Basically, its function was to prepare people for the good news of Jesus Christ, for the coming Messiah, uh, the one that, and making us conscious of our sin and our need for a Savior. And as we're going to look this morning, the law ultimately directs us to Christ. It directs us to Christ. Uh, the law demanded righteousness, but was powerless to provide it. And uh, so this morning, we're going to be seeing how the law functioned more as something that restricts us and held us uh, in captivity, uh, and served more as a disciplinarian, as like a jail guard, more so than someone who sets us free. But the gospel, in contrast to that, uh, sets us fully free and makes us full heirs of, of, of God through Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the end of Galatians 3 and the beginning of Galatians 4, and the passage is going to be on the screen, beginning in Verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In verse 14, One of Galatians 4, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So, also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time, uh, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So under the law, we were in a state of bondage and immaturity. But under the gospel, we are now children of God and full heirs in Christ. We're gonna look at these passages and unpack some of that this morning. So will you pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we love you and we acknowledge you. We invite you and welcome your presence into our midst, into our hearts, into our minds, into every part of who we are. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. And we ask that this morning that we would fully know your love, your affection for us, your desire for intimacy with each of us, that we would know you as our perfect heavenly Father. So come, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would just uh, speak your heart uh, through my words, God, that they would be so much more because uh, you are ordering them, you are guiding them, you are leading them. We ask that you would come and be honored and glorified in this time together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So who we were under the law, we'll begin with that, and who we are under the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says we were imprisoned. We were in prison. We were held in custody. We were locked up in, in, a, in a, like a spiritual cage, if you will. And if you know, like a cage, uh, the law can limit behavior, but the law cannot change a heart. And that's what Paul is starting off with. He, he's starting out with this whole idea that, yeah, it had us bound up, but it, it restricted our behavior, but it couldn't change our behavior, Uh, The law restrains or imprisons us until Christ comes. You know, it's like when you take your kids to the zoo. Uh, You take your kids to the zoo and you're going to the dangerous animals. So we're talking the tigers, the lions, the ones that would love to have you for lunch, all right? They would love to have you for lunch and you're getting up there and you know, some of the zoos have these glass panels, some have these barriers uh, and at the end of the day, you know, you've got that glass wall there to protect you and your family so you could get right up there to it but you know what? I don't care how long those animals have been domesticized. They still want to eat you. They do. The cage keeps them constrained, but they still want to eat you. And, and they would love to, to enjoy you as, a, as you and your family uh, on your fun visits to Riverbank Zoo. Just know that, all right? Not to instill fear in you, but and it goes to show that that's the whole idea that Paul is trying to present here. That's like the law, it's like a cage. It, it contains us, it restricts our movement, but it does not have the capacity to change our hearts, to change those carnal desires. Paul says that under the law, we were imprisoned and we were under the care of also a guardian or um, a, a babysitter even. Some translations might even uh, denote a babysitter and not a fun one, all right? Not a fun babysitter, there is a big... Big difference. This is not a fun babysitter, like a strict babysitter. The law can point out flaws and imperfections, but again, it is powerless to change anything. So, think of it as like this really, really hard coach that is like angry and mean, and you don't, you're not encouraged. You're just frustrated and you feel defeated all the time. Uh, it's like a very rigid disciplinarian, if you will, that loves pointing out all of your mistakes, all your flaws, all your imperfections but is completely powerless to help you change anything, or doesn't even maybe even seek to to, to even try. Um, Paul said the law was our guardian in this way until Christ came to bring us freedom and to change us from the inside out, to bring about true change, lasting change, that could and would change our hearts, change our desires. Under the law, we were imprisoned, and we were under a very strict disciplinarian, uh, a a not-fun babysitter, if you will. That's who we were. Thankfully, under the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul goes on to share, this is who we are now, in Christ Jesus. Beginning in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there a male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. So in God's family, Distinctions uh, that separate and divide us are immaterial, okay? In Christ, we all have equal standing. Uh, as his sons, as his daughters. And if you've placed your trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, um, guess what? Your ethnic origin doesn't matter. And that was huge here because uh, Paul is speaking specifically to Gentiles. uh, And they were being told by Jews who were coming in that, okay, if you really want to be a full part of God's true family, You've got to also basically behave like a Jew and follow all of the, the laws. Um, and so uh, first and foremost, it, it, our ethnic origin, it doesn't matter when it comes to being in God's family. Guess what? Our social status, it also, it doesn't matter uh, in, in, in terms of what it means to be in God's family. And this was also a really big one, your gender It it, it doesn't matter when it comes to uh, belonging and being a full part of God's family. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And our, our deepest spiritual identity is not to be placed in the distinctions that so often divide us as a culture, as a society, First and foremost, as followers of Jesus, our identity, our spiritual identity is to be in Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, uh, and being people of his kingdom. That is to be our identity, and that's what it means for us to, to be baptized into Christ, to put on, to be clothed in the Messiah, that we are the Messiah's family. And as a result, all of our old distinctions, they become irrelevant in terms of our status in God's family, our standing before God. But also we need to understand this, and this is where it practically comes home a little more, the way we view one another, the way we view one another, in terms of how do we, how do we view one another, uh, whether maybe social status or socioeconomic levels or color or gender? How do, how do we view one another? This is not just about how God views us, but it needs to play out practically in our one-on-one relationships within the body of Christ. Uh, Now, one of the things I want to stress here is that Paul is not saying that every aspect of our human identity becomes irrelevant when we we come to Christ, because Paul continues to see himself as a Jewish Christian, but his Jewishness nor his maleness is not the basis of his standing as a part of the true family of Abraham, the family of Israel, the family of God. Uh, It's important for us to know that. Uh, we need to also recognize the context of Paul's letter. This is the first century, and for the first century, for first century Palestine, this was radical thinking, okay? Just the idea that he would broach this subject for the Galatians to believe that people from a Greek culture were on the same level uh, uh, with God as that of, of Jews, uh, or that women were on the same level as men, or that the poor in the church were on the same level as the wealthy. This was nothing less than revolutionary. So it's important for us to recognize that and to, to see that as we read this. And and Paul's not arguing that our distinctions are erased because of Jesus. Not not that at all. Our our racial and gender distinctions are are divinely given by God. Okay? So he he loves uh, our maleness and our femaleness. He loves that we are white and black and brown and red and yellow. And he all are precious in his sight, as the kid's song says. Uh, so it's important for us to recognize also that our class distinctions uh, can become a very beautiful thing when Jesus is at the center, and we don't view each other through. Well, she's got money, she's got power, therefore I will, you know, I will uh, sort of make a, uh, you know, befriend her, or I will avoid this person because they don't have status. No, I love one of the things I love about our church is probably our greatest area of of, of diversity is socioeconomic. Uh, it really is. We've got uh, people all over the, the, the all over the spectrum when it comes to socioeconomic level, and I love that we come and we worship together, we work together, we do small groups together, we serve together because Jesus unites us. So it's really, really important for us to recognize that these distinctions that Paul, he's talking about that these are irrelevant for our status in Christ Jesus and in God's family. Uh, am, I, am I tracking with you this morning on that? I want to make sure that we're on the, 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 the same page. Because, uh, yeah, it is, it is wonderful for us to, to recognize that we are uniquely and wonderfully made by God. However, he made us. Whatever gender he made us. Whatever color he made us. Where he's placed us in our lives, Uh, it's important for us to recognize that and to to be all that God has called us to be, and not use that as a uh, to see that in any way as any kind of deterrent uh, deterrent uh, from from being part of His family. So let's read on and talk more about what 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 God has to say uh, through Paul. Uh, He says, "But when the time set had finally come, God sent His Son." born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you and air. This is, this is one of those areas where it can be a little tricky, uh, particularly if, as we read this in our cultural context, but also to realize that all meaning is context dependent. So we got to go back and realize Paul is writing this to a first century uh, church. And, and Paul calls both, he's writing to both men and women here, all right? Paul calls men and women who trust in Christ sons of God. It's like, all right, what's up with that? Well, he's doing it to emphasize that we all receive the exact same inheritance. Okay, listen to me for a second. Paul's not being insensitive to gender inclusiveness, all right? He's not being insensitive to that. Uh, the context of Paul's letter, in the first century, women had little to no rights, all right? It was part of, it's, it's, it was an unjust Uh, it was an expression of injustice. Uh, Remember, this is the kingdom of this world, all right? So Paul's writing in that context, only sons could be heirs in the Roman world. And in most ancient cultures, daughters were not even uh, allowed to even inherit property. So Paul is writing to men and women here. So for Paul to say that female believers became sons of God that elevated them far beyond anything that their culture told them was even possible. It's important to recognize that. Sons of God. This is the same status that God declared for Israel back in Exodus 4. This is what he said. You will be the sons of God, speaking that to Israel. And most importantly, this is the same status that God spoke over Jesus when he came out of the waters of baptism uh, before he went into his public ministry, the 40 days leading him into the wilderness. He said, This is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. This is huge. This is huge. So when Paul calls men and women who trust in Christ Jesus, sons of God, he is suggesting that we, men and women, receive the exact same inheritance no matter our gender. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. There's so much going on um, in this passage, far more than I can address this morning, but I, but I, I want us to hear that because very often we're, we're quick to just, you know, in our culture of gender inclusiveness, which is a good thing, uh, it's important for us to make the distinction here. Um, there's a lot going on in this, passage, in this passage, far more than I can address this morning, but I love the fact that in this passage also God gives us uh, in his word uh, a beautiful example of the Trinity at work. Now, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Uh, it is it's something, of course, to, decide, de, to describe the, the Godhead, uh, God in, in, in three persons, blessed Trinity, as the hymn says, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And It says this in this passage, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God sent his Son that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. I love, and this is one of the a very succinct, beautiful expression of how the Trinity works together how it works together and so complementary. And it's, it's to be an expression of how we as the body of Christ are to work together and to bless each other and to appreciate and value each other. The Holy Spirit makes the Father's love known to us. And this is more, so much more than legal standing. This is a relational experience that God the Father wants us to have, and he's made it possible by giving and sending his son, Jesus, and he makes it known to us. We get to experience it today through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. We are God's children. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this was a joint, collective, cooperative, collaborative work that he did to bring this about. And guess this. Because of this, when we are in Christ... God loves us just like he loves Jesus. Mic drop, all right? I don't need to say anything else this morning. If you get that, and not just get that, if we get that, and if we just give our hearts and our wills and our minds and our emotions and our spirits to live in that every day. Wow. Wow. That's, that's my challenge for myself. Uh, as I was just reading and preparing for this week, that was the challenge for me personally. And that's the challenge I want to issue to you, to recognize That this is the love, this is the love of God the Father for us. This is the love that he is calling us to, to, to experience, to live in every single day. He wants us to live from this truth, not from all kinds of momentary circumstances that change like winter weather in Georgia. I mean, you know, just always changing, always erratic, but no, he calls us to live every day knowing that because of Jesus, because I am in Christ, because I've accepted Jesus as the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life, God the Father loves me just like he loves Jesus. In spite of my failures, in spite of my shortcomings and my screw-ups and the way I hurt people, he loves me that way. He loves me like he loves Jesus. And through Jesus, we get to call God the Father the same thing that Jesus calls him, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Abba, Father, inviting us into a deeper intimacy and a greater experience of God's love. When the disciples went to Jesus and said, Jesus, we see you praying, and it's so much more. It's so much more powerful. It's so much more real then maybe some of the prayers that we just sort of rotally go through in the temple teach us to pray like that. And what did he say? When you pray, pray our father, Aramaic, Abba, Abba, Father, Papa, Uh, a term of deep intimacy. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to a deeper place of intimacy with him. Uh, I cannot think of a, a, a higher goal for this Lenten season than to draw near, to draw near to the Father, just like Jesus drew near to the Father in the wilderness. Yeah, it wasn't an ideal situation. And maybe you find yourself in your own wilderness during this particular season. Draw near to the Father. Let the Holy Spirit, just let, let him cry out on your behalf. The, one of the jobs, one of the roles, one of the uh, descriptions of the Holy Spirit, is he is one who helps us and how to pray when we don't know how to pray. Let the Holy Spirit lead your prayer. Let the Holy Spirit guide your prayer. Be open to just being quiet before the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to just give you promptings. And let me prepare, prepare you there may be some things coming out that you're, that you're expressing that may be on the surface like, I can't believe I just said that. In confession, as God goes deep in our hearts, because he wants to uncover things not to shame us, not to condemn us, but to set us free, to set us free, to give us freedom in Christ to truly be the sons and daughters that he's called us to be. So ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to a greater place of intimacy with his Father and do so knowing this is God's will for us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know uh, the Father's love just like he knows the Father's love. That's what what Jesus is about. And as full-grown recipients of God's inheritance, because that's what Paul is saying, this is who we are now. This is who we are now as full-grown recipients of God's inheritance. He invites us to experience more and more of his kingdom here and now. That's part of uh, the responsibility of being full children of God. That's part of uh, of the the badge of maturity that that we now have as full uh, children of God. Uh, God the Father gave Jesus his mission and he gave him his assignment, his ministry assignment when he came to earth. And, and when Jesus came to earth, he gave it to his disciples, and he gave, uh, gives that assignment to us. And the beautiful thing about it is when Jesus came to do the mission and the ministry that the Father gave to him, God also gave him the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who empowered him to do miracles, the Holy Spirit who empowered him to, to take a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish and feed thousands, the, the, the same Holy Spirit who used that, that was in Jesus who raised people from the dead, who healed the sick, who opened blind eyes, all of those things, the same Holy Spirit is available to you and to me today. And I believe God is still in the business of doing that stuff, and he is looking for people who know that our identity, our spiritual identity, is being his sons and his daughters, that it's being fully in God, that the same Holy Spirit is here to empower us. This is the badge. This is part of being a grown-up child of God, of being free, to be people of God's kingdom, doing the ministry of God's kingdom. And so that's the challenge I have for us this morning. Uh, that's the invitation that I believe the Holy Spirit is giving to us as we, uh, as we move into our worship time and worship team, if you guys want to come on up, that would be awesome. Uh, it's just that God is calling us to know Him more and more as Father, as perfect heavenly Father. And I know I could spend a whole another sermon and many, many more sermons unpacking the whole idea that, you know, so often our view of, of, of fathering and the of, of fatherhood is broken because of maybe some poor examples that we've experienced here on earth. But God wants to redeem that. He wants to redeem that. He wants to show us the perfect love of a perfect father. And he wants us to become more and more familiar with his ways to draw nearer to him, to know his love, to know his affection, to know that as we are in Christ, that he loves us just like he loves Jesus. Let's stand together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit-breathed word of God. Thank you for the invitation to draw near. Holy Spirit, come and draw our hearts to to just cry out, Abba, Father. To draw closer, to draw more intimate to you. uh, To draw closer, Lord, to know your love in a deeper way. God, thank you that you desire that none of us would be apart from you, that all of us would come to know you, to be in relationship with you. Thank you for making... Away for us through Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for drawing our hearts to your heart. Come and do that in each one of us this morning. Draw us closer to you in Jesus' name.